What a day, what a day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your host, JT The Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you as we begin a new week. And what a week as the Raiders stand at 3-0 and atop the AFC West with the Broncos undefeated, coming off one of the most emotional and great regular season victories that you can remember. Oh, we got to go back to Monday Night Football Week 1 and look at that game. Those are the two home games this year. Any season ticket holder that owns a PSL and a season ticket, you got your money's worth for the entire year for the first two games, period. You got your money's worth, period, for the entire year. Whatever your tickets cost, I hope you didn't sell them. If you did, whatever, I hope the fans you gave it to had a good time and thank you. Those tickets are paid for for this year with those two games. You won't see stuff like that possibly ever, ever again, and you saw it in the first two games. I would rather not see games that dramatic. I don't want to go through that every game. And the Raiders could have lost those two games at home and found ways to pull them out in gritty, gutty fashion. And now the Raiders are undefeated in the talk of the NFL. They are. I told you this would happen. I told you more than anybody that the Raiders were going to get kicked in the groin the entire offseason, mocked, and no one knew the roster. No one cared about the roster. They all wanted to put Denver and the Chargers above them. And we're here, and they're 3-0. And first take and this crap debate show and this radio show are all leading off with Raiders today. Isn't it funny? Who told you that? Told you this happens all the time. But it really doesn't happen much because the Raiders don't start off this good. But the Raiders made history yesterday. They become the first team in NFL history to win their first three games by beating opponents who won 10 games the year before. How did that happen? And how is that a stat I never heard of? The first time in league history a team has ever done that. So the Raiders now have big momentum as they get ready for Monday Night Football a week from tonight in Los Angeles against the Chargers. So we're going to spend most of the week breaking down that game because that's a big one. Chargers are much better, as you know. As you know, the Chargers are very good. I think their roster is better than the Raiders. I don't think they're a better team, per se, but I think their roster, when they're healthy, and the way they've drafted better, is better than the Raiders. But the Raiders have some gamers and some clutch players that the Chargers don't have. So, I don't know how the game's going to play out. We have all week to figure it out. But what we do on Monday is we open up the phones and we recap your experience at Allegiant Stadium or wherever you watch the game. It was a big week for us. And it was a big weekend with Tom Flores in town. Got a lot to share with you on what happened over the weekend with Coach Flores as he got his Hall of Fame ring on Sunday. And I want to hear if you came by and said hi at the torch. Hundreds of people came by and said hello at the torch on our pregame show. We had Tim Brown, Marcel Reese, Chris Matthews from 8 News Now. They built us a big stage right at the torch. We had a hell of a time. And a lot of people come by and say hello to myself and Eric Allen, I hope you see. Uh, we hope to see you at the Torch. We hope to see you a week from tonight at the M M Resort Casino and Spa. That's where we're hosting the pregame show for Monday Night Football. As I finished the postgame show last night, I had my cousin in town and my best friend who I grew up with since first grade, 
and they were here for three nights. And they stayed with me. My wife was out of town. They stayed with me for a couple of days. I took them all around town, took them to the game. And when they said goodbye to me, it was real. It was deep. They never saw anything like it. And these are guys I've been going to baseball and foot. My cousin, and my cousin's like my brother, we've been going to games since we've been five years old together. So they've seen it all. They've been to Super Bowls with me, Final Fours. They walked away, and they said, it's like nothing i ever seen. They were so blown away by going to Vegas and walking over the Hacienda Bridge, going to the Bud Light tailgate, whatever they did. They came into the game, came up to the torch, stayed for the game, stayed for the post game as I finished at Modelo Lounge. And then we came home, and they had to catch a red eye, and it felt like it was a trip of a lifetime. I was proud to show them Allegiant Stadium, and they caught it on an historic day. An historic day as the Raiders win 31-28. to I'm going to go through the sound bites that were the highlights of the game. I want you to start dialing now so I can get to your calls at the end of the monologue. 702-365-9200. As we're brought to you by PTs. A lot of people went to PTs because the Golden Knights had their first preseason game. They're a proud partner. Also, PTs get you going 5-7, to seven, midnight to 2. A great place to go after the Raiders win a game. Head to PTs and catch one of their happy hours. Hours, five to seven after a day game or midnight to two after a primetime game and the Raiders have a few primetime games left again the only thing that concerns me heading into the Charger game is I don't know how good the Raiders are I'm still flawed with that I'm still trying to figure it out I know they're a good team I don't know if they're very good if they're fortunate if they're getting good breaks I don't know they're winning games I know the word resiliency has been thrown around a lot and it's true I know their character. We've covered that. We've covered that completely. I just don't know how good they are yet when they're giving up 4th and 8 and 4th and 20 and they're squandering leagues late and they're giving up big plays and they're letting teams come back into a game that should be beat and potentially win the game. So I think the Raiders are good. I think they're a good team. I don't know if they're very good. They're not great by any means because of the injuries they have, but they're resilient. And they're putting wins in the bank. And these wins early are the only chance I think the Raiders have at making the playoffs. The Raiders' best-case scenario is happening now. They are 3-0, and and nobody had that. I don't know a single person in the Raider Nation, including diehard, over-the-top homers, fans that want them to win every game, of course, that had them at 3-0. and Not one person I know has them at 3-0, and and they're there now. Now the schedule gets interesting, and I'm not going to jump too far ahead, but Justin Fields of Chicago was a train wreck yesterday. He didn't even look like a college quarterback, let alone a pro quarterback. He's here in two weeks. And then there's the Giants, Cincinnati, some of the games there, Philadelphia, Washington. I can see the victories out in front of me. I just don't want to get too cocky with them. And now we go into the Charger game, and that Charger game, the only thing the Raiders, the Raiders have two great things going into that Charger game. One is the play of Derek Carr, who's even outplaying Justin Herbert. Both of these guys are on the short list for the MVP this year. That's what they got going for them. And secondly, it's a Raider home game. Under no circumstances, that's a Raider home game. So the Raiders don't have to worry about crowd noise and the crowd and anything there. They'll have the crowd in Los Angeles. That's what we can build on. But Justin Herbert's a hell of a player. Very good player. So we're going to see how they prep this week and how the Raiders get healthy. You know, K.J. Wright only played nine plays. We're going to get an update from Gruden at 1 o'clock on this. Injuries, guys going down left and right. Collisions in the end zone. Guys coming out of the game. 
I mean, who's left on this team? Who's left on this team who's healthy? Who's really feeling good? Carr rolled his ankle. I saw him a few times come off the field. He did not look like he was sprinting off the field. No Josh Jacobs. Defensive line playing way too many possessions. We're in overtime every game. They're, they're taking on excess snaps. And the secondary starting to leak a bit. But they're resilient. And if they can keep it close, they're finding ways to put games away. And that's coaching and that's character. That's Derek Carr. And there's a couple of guys on defense doing their job. Miami got off to a quick start on a pick six. This was a very uncharacteristic play as the Raiders looked like they were rolling. First threatening drive of the game, and it's by the Raiders. Back into the gun goes Carr. Standing just the other side of the 25. Backs up two steps. He's got a man wide open. Hit on the base. Intercepted. Oh, mercy. This could be a pick six. I don't believe it. It's going to be a pick six by the Dolphins. And running it in was a Landon Roberts all the way. Carr was hit on the release. And that did just enough damage to have the pass sit on the outside. He had no chance. Brett Musburger on all these calls, obviously. That was a rough start to the game. And then Miami scores again to go up 14-0, Malcolm Brown. Now running back is Malcolm Brown. Gets the call. Middle hole. It's on the left. He's headed for the end zone. They won't touch him. Touchdown, Dolphins. They have shocked the favored Raiders. They took advantage of a failed fourth down, and they bust in for their second touchdown of the game here in the first quarter. And there's trouble in Sin City, ladies and gentlemen. I mean big trouble. Wow. Brent on the call. There was big trouble there because Gruden went for it on fourth down. And I took a lot of calls on that on the post game. Give me a break. The guy gets too conservative. Y'all call me and everybody's blanking and moaning. He's too conservative. He's too conservative. Then he goes for it pretty deep in his own end, which I was surprised by that. It backfired. They're down 14-0, and they were losing to a better team at that point. That was blowout alert. That was blowout alert coming because Miami was ready to go. Raiders' body language was terrible, and the crowd was out of the game. Everybody's asking me the first two weeks, tell me about the crowd. It was the first time the crowd was silent. The crowd was dead. Then the safety came, and I think if you look at the score and how the game flipped, it flipped on this play. They go empty. set goes empty on this one, indicating he is. He's going to throw it. Far out, and it's going to be a safety. Safety, baby. Out of way, Hayward. That's the veteran, baby. Hit him in the end zone. Stupid call, and it's a safety. Wow, I didn't hear that call. He nailed it. What a dumb call. They're up 14-0. They have all the momentum. Punt the ball after going three and out. Do anything. Don't throw the ball into your own end zone. And they did that, and the Raiders got right back into the game. So the Raiders needed to get into the game. They were able to do it. Alec Engel with a big touchdown that made it a two-point game. Barber stays in. He's behind Engel. They're going to throw. Carr drops it off. And touchdown, Raiders. Eric Engel, the fullback, strikes again. That was huge. That was a very important play. That was a very important play that I think got the crowd into the game. The crowd needed to get back into the game. They were able to do that. Miami missed a field goal, and then the Raiders started a roll. Renfro, who had a big game, a lot of clutch catches. Here's his first TD. Carr looks in that direction, forced out of the pocket, flush to the right, got a slant, first down, dives in zone. Jackpot, baby! Jackpot with Hunter Renfro! Yes, sir! Hunter Renfro caught the slant broke a tackle and made his way to the end zone 
and for the first time today, the Raiders take the lead. That was huge. They took the lead in the game, and you really felt like not only did they have the momentum, they scored 25 unanswered points on the Barber touchdown that makes it 25-14. Barber's the running back, gets the handoff, jumps over the top, jackpot, baby! Touchdown, Raiders! That was huge. That was big. Now I thought the Raiders, most people thought the Raiders had the game. The Raiders had the game, and that's when we have to stop the show. This is when we have to talk this week about what the hell happened. How do you go up 25-14, and then what happens where you let a backup quarterback in Jacoby Brissett back into the game? And they come back into the game, and they keep making big plays after big plays, and Miami got it to 25-23 on this touchdown. Fourth down, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. The snap, Brissett running, hit. Go dives for the touchdown. Two seconds on the clock. Oh, mercy. Now, I said that in the pregame show, that he was going to score on a fourth and two. Eric Allen looked at me and said, "That's your." you said it. I said it. He was going to score in this game on a quarterback sneak or a fourth and two. He did. And then they go for it on two. And why was this play such an easy conversion? This will be the last play of regulation. Can they get it? Brissett is up underneath center. Takes a Ron snap, and his throw looks to the left. Got it. We're tied. We are tied. Fuller caught the two-point conversion. His first touchdown, or I should say his first score as a Dolphin. And, folks, for the second time in two games in Allegiant, we are going to be headed for overtime. That was brutal. That was brutal. I mean, a lot of fans at that point thought, Okay, the Raiders are going to blow this game in dramatic fashion. And it felt that way in the building. If you're in the stadium, it felt that way. There weren't many people at that point that thought there was good news coming. Fortunately, they had overtime. If Carlson doesn't miss an extra point, they still probably win that game. But you never know. Games change along the way. But the play that was maybe the defining moment of the game, which didn't come back to haunt them, was when Brissett had a fourth and 20. This is when the game should have been over. The Raiders had a defensive breakdown. So, Brissett will take the snap from the gun. Back straight up. In trouble. Hit, shakes free. Fires it downfield. Grab by Gusecki and out of bounds. He got it first down. He got the first down at the 42-yard line. 5-43 on a fourth and 20. Gusecki and Diablo did not get over quick enough. And he picks up the first down. Diablo got exposed on a lot of plays in that game when the game was on the line. That was concerning. I'll give him a break because he's a young player. Young player, and they were getting hurt, and they needed the next man up. But he's got to look at some film there. I mean, he could have cost him the game. That was a that was a costly fourth and 20. I'll get to it later in the show. Lamar Jackson hit on a fourth and 19 for Baltimore that set up the longest field goal of all time. 66 yards. We'll talk about that later. That was 4th and 19, and Baltimore won. This was 4th and 20 for Miami. They could have or should have won the game. But the Raiders made big plays. Barber was outstanding on the big run in overtime, and then they bring out Carlson to close it. Good snap. Good hold. Jackpot, baby! The Raiders become the first team in history of the NFL 
to win their first three games against teams that all won at least 10 games the previous season. 31-28. Bring on the Chargers. Great call on the Raiders' flagship station right here as we get you going on Raider Nation Radio. What a win. What a dramatic win. A long, long game. It felt like we went in there early. I was in that building at 9.30 in the morning, and we played at the end of overtime. It was draining to be a part of that entire game. But the Raiders win to go to 3-0, and and we're celebrating that today. We are celebrating the victory. Scott in Vegas, start us off. How are you, Scott? I'm fantastic. How are you, sir? Good, thanks. All right, so I've been going to games forever since I was a kid up in Oakland and the whole bit growing up in Tahoe. My, my issue with this thing going on right now, and I was fortunate enough to go to the first two games, there were a lot of empty seats in that 200 section. Fans, don't just sell your seats. Go watch the games. This is as much fun as you could ever oh, have. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're there. They're in the club. They're, they're not. Those seats aren't empty. I'm in, those, I'm in those seats. I'm in the section below. Those, those fans are in the club. They're not. They, those seats aren't empty. People did not show up to the game. Are you out of your mind? Those people are in clubs. They're in nightclubs. They're in the concourse. They're at the torch. There's no empty seats there that people are blowing off their tickets at that price. I don't know. I, it's a lot of empty seats, JT. A lot of empty seats. I couldn't disagree with you more. I'm not starting off the show this week with that. Empty seats. I know. I'm in the building. I know who sells the seats. Every ticket is sold. Every ticket is sold. They got tickets back due to the vaccine mandate, and they sold them out in nine minutes. Nine minutes. You can't get a ticket to this game unless you pay for it, and you have to go pay in the secondary market. There aren't people not showing up to their seats. There are people getting a cocktail in the club and sitting there for 20 minutes having a drink and watching it on a big screen, which that's a fair call. Get the hell out of the club. Get your drink and get back to your seat. I'll start off with that call, but to say that they're empty seats, give me a break. I'm there. There's no empty seats. Those seats are all sold, all sold out, done, finito. PSL holders bought them all. Empty seats. Empty seats because people go to the restroom and people go get a cocktail. They're not empty for people not showing up. That's, that's how rumors start in this town. That's how bad rumors start in this town. Oh, traffic. Oh, I couldn't get in because of my clear bull. No empty seats in that place. The place was jumping. People left early. Another thing, in overtime, Carlson was lining up for a kick. I'm with Eric Allen. We're in the Modelo Club standing outside the black curtain, and people are coming up the aisle as they're setting up for the kick. I'm going, oh, my God, what are they doing? How are they having their back to the game? And they're trying to – people, relax trying to get out two minutes early. It's not going to change your life to two minutes. There's no traffic on the Hacienda Bridge. No, don't worry about it. Man, that got me going. Sal in Vegas. How are you, Sal? Hey, JT. How's it going, buddy? I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> My voice is just coming back to me now. I was up, I was in there, man. That house was packed wall to wall. I didn't see any empty seats, so I have to disagree with that last call. But, man, what a game. I mean, um, we were lucky enough to be uh, tailgating mm-hmm. down in the J-Lot, and mm-hmm. uh, the Black Hole did a tribute for uh, – uh, Black Hole Rob and yes. released some dust. So I thought was a very that was a very beautiful, touching moment. I got to share that. And then uh, we were down in section in the south end zone mm-hmm. uh, with PSL holders. And was, I mean, yeah, you're right. The crowd when when we got off to that start, the crowd kind of deflated a little bit. But you know what, everybody, I was getting everybody up there yelling at the top as soon as we got that safety, and I, and the game started to change. And mm-hmm. man, that was such a good, awesome game. And if you missed it, whew, 
I can't tell you any. I mean, I've been going to games a long time, and this this almost tops the first game, but this was this was nice. Um, but I wanted to say, you know, we got to keep it going. You know, I'm with you on that. Uh, getting up in the morning, watching Sports Center, it's good to see my team being covered now. But you know, now I'm hearing little things like, oh, well, this team was not as good as they used to be, and this and this. They come up with more excuses than you know what, JT. But you know what? It's all good. When we shock everybody next Monday. When we, when we have our home game, we need all the Raider Nation out there to support our Raiders so we can go 4-0 and and get this party going. Yeah, thanks a lot. A 4-0, 0 would be insane if they're able to do that and do it on the road. That would be road wins at the Chargers and at Pittsburgh to start the season and two overtime wins at home and dramatic overtime games. Look, the elephant in the room is everyone knows that the Raiders could have lost their first two home games. There was, there was easy ways for them to lose, and they would have been collapses. So they could have had two collapses or one collapse and one win. They have two wins, which is remarkable considering some of the bad luck this team has had over the last couple of decades. So I think we should feast on that and enjoy that. And, and we're not saying that they're great. We're not saying they're going to go undefeated. But, God, to have a 3-0 and start, considering that there were separate individual plays in both home games that could have lost those games and they didn't, that's because resiliency. A couple of people told me, they heard me say it on the post game. There was a bomb that Brissett threw in overtime into the back of the end zone. I thought it was pass interference on the Raiders. If they throw that flag, game over. They put it at the one-yard line, game over. When they didn't throw that flag, I sat there and I was like, where's the flag? Oh, my God, this is it. They didn't throw the flag. So there were flag- And I thought Max Crosby was getting hulled literally on every play. I looked at Max Crosby in the fourth quarter. Max Crosby was getting held a lot. They weren't calling it. I thought the referees had a tough day there. It was hard. That was a physical game. And that's also the last thing, Bobby, that concerns me about these games. They're long. They're extra long. They're overtime. They're physical. And guys are getting beat up and hurt. These guys need the off day. They need some time off. And we're only in week three going into week four. That's concerning. Uh, Ron and Henderson, how are you, Ron? I'm doing great, JC. How you doing? I'm man? doing well, thank you. So, uh, by the end of the season, hopefully, I won't need to be on blood pressure medicine because I don't know how much I could take this. You know, mm-hmm. these two first home games are crazy, and you're st- you're talking about luck, right? I think we got like, luck on our side, thankfully, but you know, we're not always going to have this. We could be, like you said, one and two, but we're not. So we got to celebrate these wins, and you know, the defense is bend, don't break. They gave it that crazy fourth and 20, whatever it was, which is crazy, but they also held the game together early and they could have blown us out. JT, they stopped the dolphins when we needed to stop and our offense wasn't going in the first half. It was, you know, we all know cars a little slow to start out games sometimes, but as the game went on, he got hot and he was throwing dimes, JT. He was throwing dimes in tight windows and the line was holding up as much as they could. And talk about Peyton Barber, man. That guy, he's been on the team, what, two weeks? Yeah. And he shows up like that. Props to the offensive line. Props to Leatherwood. Props to Illuminor. Props to Andre James. You got, Andre James got to clean up that snapping, though. Because if he does that again, Coach Cable and Gruden are going to have a fit. Yeah, but, he, he's struggling. That, Leatherwood's struggling oh. with his grade. And uh, James is struggling. There's no doubt the Raiders are struggling up front on that offensive line. But I just hope that they stay healthy. I think they'll get better. Uh, speaking of Peyton Barber, Gruden talked about his importance yesterday. Yeah, I think he did more than just run it. I mean, you know, we went to him as our third down back. We had a, 
uh, a need there, I think, to get his hands on the ball at the end of the game. He caught the pass out of the backfield. He picked up some blitzes. He was helpful in protection. He didn't blow any assignments. He ran hard. And when you meet him, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't even smile. I don't know how he's feeling. I don't hardly know this guy. But I gave him a big hug and a game ball, I'll tell you that. If, um, if you get a chance to see Peyton, uh, you'll, you'll see. He's a great kid, and today was a big moment for him. I'm really happy for him. How come I don't get any calls about Mayock and Gruden bringing in Peyton Barber? How come I get no calls on that? Nobody in the Raider Nation says, hey, JT, we've been beating up Mayock here and there. We've been beating up Gruden. We don't like the draft picks, Arnett, Cleveland Farrell. Why don't we balance out the show and say, hey, Barber came in. He was just signed uh, from the Washington practice squad or whatever. They come in, and the guy the guy had, well, let me check, check this out here again, 23 carries, 111 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Radio silence. It's it's like all hell breaks loose. No one says, hey, Mayock, nice job. Nice job bringing in these guys that we desperately need because everybody's getting hurt and you got guys who can make plays. 702-365-9200. Raider Z in Sacramento. JT, you got a beautiful show and you put it on. I mean, the, I, the calls you got last night after the, after the game and complaining about penalties. And, I mean, it's just, and then the national media, that guy Spears actually says on national television, not, not, I'm not a Gruden fan. He says, I don't like Gruden a couple weeks ago. So they get no take backs now. Mm-hmm. We're three and oh. We've been suffering for 20 years. I can't, I, I know you can relate to this. How many years have we lost those games and you knew we were going to lose those games? It's a different feeling right now. And we're three and oh. I don't care. If they threw five interceptions, we're three and zero. That's it. Let's keep going. Let's stay positive. Let's rock this. The national media, I'm done. They don't get no take back. You, they didn't do their job. They didn't look at the roster. They didn't look at any of the positives because they don't like Gruden, and apparently they don't want Mike Mayock to be successful. And that's where he came from. Yeah, they don't like Gruden. They don't like Gruden, and they don't like you. Appreciate the call. They don't like the Raiders. There's a jealousy level of the Raiders. There's a Raider level since Al Davis where the media and some fans don't like the Raiders. That's why you're a family. You stick together. You stick together. I'm proud to be a part of the family. Resiliency. You stick together. And I'll tell you this. We'll get into it later in the show. To work for this organization is an honor. They reached out to me and said, we need pictures of Black Hole Rob. They put a picture of Black Hole Rob on the video boards, the jumbo video boards of he and his wife. Rachel, I, I saw it, and I was so sad when I saw it, but then about a minute later I was so happy because he passed away early in the week, and the Raiders turned it around, got him on the TV shows, got him on Facebook, got his photo up on the game in the fourth quarter. Black Hole Rob was looking down on us. There's no doubt in my mind. I felt the spirit as I walked in the building and when I left the building. The monologue brought to you by Remy Martin, Team Up for Excellence. When I talk X's and O's, it's with a Remy Martin sidecar in my hand. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. I'll be at the Remy Bar at the Raiders Tavern and Grill Monday night, a week from Monday for Monday Night Football. We'll tell you what we got planned for tonight on Monday night. More of your phone calls. Joe Fortenbaugh from ESPN on some of the moving lines and a gambling perspective next.
Yeah, that's the headline today to me. You know, we had some penalties that really went against us. Pass interference in the end zone. Um, you know, we had some terrible penalties that really hurt us. We fell behind. Uh, gave up fourth and 20. We missed an extra point. Guys are leaving. We had newcomers playing that haven't played much before, but um, you just finish. You know, we talk about it a lot. You just find a way to finish, and um, really proud of our coaches and players for doing that. Well, as John Gruden, these press conferences are also demanding for Coach Gruden. He's sitting there explaining what could have happened, what should have happened, fourth and 20, all of these crazy plays that are happening in Vegas. If you're a season ticket holder, don't ever complain. Those first two games of the year, you got your value back for the entire year if you sat your butts in the seats. Those are two of the most exciting games I can remember in regular season Raider history. And in Vegas, on top of it, you get that experience. Joe Fortenbaugh joining us from ESPN, the ESPN Sports Betting Analyst. Joe, let's jump in with Lamar Jackson, 4th and 19, can, completes it for the greatest kick of all time for 66 yards. Jacoby Brissett completes a 4th and 20. What is the sweat like in your industry for these books, for fans trying to close out a game, and these games go flying into overtime? Oh, my God. Two, two totally different situations, right? So when we're talking about Brissett and the Raiders, that game opened with the Raiders as a four-point favorite. It closed three and a half. So the entire time, if you're a Raider fan, you've been, or a Raider supporter, I should say, you've been trailing, but the team fought tooth and nail to get back in it. Big-time credit for rallying. Weaker teams would come up short in that spot. They come all the way back. They start covering. It looks like they're going to handle business. And then it comes down to a matter of whether or not Miami's going to cover that spread. And then, of course... There's the dreaded overtime scenario. Like, you could have been a Miami backer in that game, and you're rooting for Miami all the way up until the two-point conversion, then suddenly you're rooting for the Raiders to get the stop, so the game ends on one and you cover the spread. Goes to overtime, Raiders handle their business, we avoid the touchdown. I do remember late in that game thinking, if Gruden doesn't turn this over to the kicker and they just try to score a touchdown late, they're going to blow up all those Miami tickets because that's the side the Sharps were on. On the Baltimore equation, there were two big things working there. Number one, Baltimore was a big teaser play. They were a seven or an eight-point favorite, and that was teased down to one for a lot of people and two for others. So that field goal was the difference as to whether or not that teaser was going to count or whether it was going to be a loser. And then at the same time, I think Baltimore was the third most popular team in survivor pools this weekend, JT. So that kick going through from 66 yards, if you go on to win your survivor pool, you got to take 10% minimum and send it to Justin Tucker because that's an all-timer right there. Not only the game-winning field goal, but an NFL record game winner on the road in that situation. Absolutely incredible the way they pulled that out. Joe Fortenball is our guest. Joe, I know you were on in Chicago on the radio earlier last week talking about the Bears and the Browns beat them 26-6. to But Justin Fields, this is getting big because I think Nagy's a flip-flopper. He wants to put in a quarterback, but he stands behind the quarterback who's injured. Uh, Fields is the franchise going forward, so I don't have a problem if he starts after week four or five and then plays for the next ten years. They're in a tough spot now. He looked awful. He was sacked nine times. What did you see in that game? This is as dysfunctional an organization as we're going to find in pro sports right now. And and that's where we are. And that's not me trying to give you something to try to get people to sit up out of their seats and think, oh, this guy's going to throw some crazy lines out there. It really is. They're not organized. 
they're not organized. They're not on the same page. They don't know what they're doing. You got an ownership group that brought back general manager Ryan Pace and head coach Matt Nagy. They're lame duck employees on a on the final year of their contract with no extension in sight. What did you think was going to happen? Right? Uh, they're they're desperate. So it feels like uh, Pace made the move to bring in Fields to buy himself more time. Right, that's you figure you get the rookie quarterback if he shows a little bit of life. They keep the organization intact for a few more years and they try to see it out. Right, but it doesn't feel like Nagy was on the same plan. It seems like he wants to go with Dalton. It seems like at every turn he's trying to sabotage this thing. Justin Fields is a big, physical, mobile quarterback. There's a lot he can do, and and everyone listening right now doesn't mean need me to rattle off the stats that the Bears didn't roll him out once. They didn't try to take advantage of the kid's legs. It felt like, and in the eyes of a lot of people who watched, it felt like and looked like Matt Nagy was trying to sabotage that game for Justin Fields. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he's that inept of a coach that he didn't understand that maybe rolling out Justin Fields could give you a better chance. But either way, no in-game adjustments. Nothing happened. The kid wasn't prepared. Your game plan was absolute crap. And now because the McCaskey family is so cheap, they're going to make these two play out their contracts because they never fire anybody in the middle of the season. So if you're a Bears fan, my heart goes out to you. This is disgusting to watch. They're going to sit there because of the money and let these two figure it out, but they're not going to figure it out. It's only going to get worse. And in the process, you're going to turn off a lot of fans, you're going to lose a lot of games, and you might wreck the psyche of a young first-round quarterback who's got a lot of potential. What's going on in Chicago right now is deplorable, and this right, right, this, uh, they might be. I'd have to go through a lot of other franchises because we know there's some bad ones out there, but this might be the most dysfunctional franchise in the business right now. Wow. Strong opinions, Joe Fortenbaugh from ESPN. Joe, I thought that Cam Newton should play through this upcoming game. Let Cam play the Brady game out of respect. Brady's coming back. New England's going to go crazy for it. Then give Mac Jones the keys to the franchise. He's the guy. I saw this coming. Risk-reward. He's going to make rookie mistakes just like Zach Wilson is. And now the Patriots are 1-2, and two, and he's coming off a game, one touchdown, three interceptions. I mean, Belichick didn't even let Cam be the backup. Flat out let him go. How does this look for Jones and the Patriots going forward? I mean, there's got to be more there with Newton than a lot of us realize. Yeah. And I don't want to try to disparage the guy, but he doesn't have a job. And it's not as if anyone was all that excited to sign him two years ago as well. You know, when he was a free agent, there were a lot of quarterbacks getting deals done, and everyone kept saying, oh, Cam Newton, a former MVP, been to a Super Bowl, all that talent. How can he not get a deal? So he takes the cheap deal to go to New England, and then we think, all right, he's going to go there for cheap. Everyone knew it. That's why he wasn't getting any offers. Belichick's going to resurrect his career. And then it wasn't really a good season. But a lot of that wasn't his fault, right? He didn't have a lot of weapons. He didn't have a good offensive line. I'm not going to really knock the guy because there wasn't much working around him. But then he goes into camp and, you know, he doesn't want to get vaxxed, and that's fine if that's his choice, whatever. But Belichick's got to look around, and like most people, you realize the most important ability is availability. And if Newton's a guy you can't count on, well, if he can go out there and throw for 400 yards a game, maybe you take that chance. After all, that's what's going on in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. But Newton's not that guy anymore. He probably isn't good enough to warrant the headache or the risk that comes with what he brings to the table. So they decide, you know what, Mac Jones is probably close enough, let's take a shot. So they move on with Jones. 
Newton hits the open market. Teams everywhere could use quarterbacks. No one's interested in signing him. Ron Rivera, his former head coach, immediately loses Ryan Fitzpatrick. Doesn't even look like they kick the tires. And I think that right there is the most telling thing. Rivera knows the guy as well as anybody. Rivera was in a situation where he needed to bring in a quarterback. Rivera didn't even bother looking into it. And I think that's where we know where it is right now with Cam Newton. Uh, it's, it's been a great career. You know, he's got a lot to look back on and a lot to be proud of. But if nothing happens moving forward... If that's the end of the line, there have been worse careers. He, he turned out all right. There was a lot to be excited about with him at Auburn, a lot he pulled off in the NFL, but it does feel like the end of the line. I mean, think about it right now if you're Pittsburgh. How do you, how do you trot Roethlisberger out there instead of Newton? Roethlisberger is cement boots. All that guy is going to do is lose you games, and the Steelers haven't even budged on that. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about where Newton is. Wrapping it up with Joe Fortenbaugh. Joe, New York football combined 0-6. They're both train wrecks. They're losing violently. The stat sheets are so ugly. The wolves are at the door. The media there is brutal and relentless there. Who's in more trouble, the Giants or the Jets? Well, I, I, it have to be the Giants. I mean, you look at the Jets, you had to expect this. The organization was at rock bottom. They bring in a new head coach. They've got a rookie quarterback. They don't have a ton of talent on the roster. So you had to expect some growing pains here. And if you're upset by what you're seeing... I mean, let's face it. Look at your opening schedule. You started at Carolina and lost that game. You know, the Panthers are 3-0. and They're not bad. You lose to New England. That should be no surprise after everything that's happened over the last 20 years. And then you get beat at Denver, and the Broncos are 3-0. and They're not bad. So I know it hasn't looked great. I know it hasn't looked promising. But take your time. Try to be patient with the quarterback. Develop him. Give him some weapons. Do what Buffalo did. Uh, keep the continuity around him, right? Don't change offensive coordinators every five minutes. Bring in some studs. Maybe a guy. I, I, I know Stephon Diggs doesn't grow on trees, right? You don't get guys like that, but you got to put some weapons around him and give him a chance. With the Giants, I, I don't even... The Giants, the Giants are offering nothing right now. Like, they, they, they offer nothing. There's no hope. And I think everyone looks to David Gettleman and thinks he's done a poor job as a general manager. I think it goes farther than that, though. It goes up to the ownership group. It just feels... Like years ago under Ernie Accorsi and a lot of the guys that were there in the Eli Manning regime and, and the Michael Strahan era, you had a great organization. And I hate saying that because I'm an Eagles fan. I, I hate the Giants. But I used to look at them with, with, with respect. They were a well-run unit. You know, they had good coaching. They had good players. They had a good business philosophy. You didn't hear about nonsense. The only time you'd ever hear about anything is if uh, Tom Coughlin wanted you to a practice early and you didn't want to be there that early. That's fine. That, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But now you look at this team, no one has faith in the quarterback. No one has faith in the coach. No one has faith in the front office. The ownership group seems to have lost its way. The culture seems to be gone out the window. And the product shows on the field. They don't win. They're not competitive. They rolled over for the Falcons last night, who were terrible. I mean, that game should have been a Giants win, and they end up blowing it. So right now, if you're going to send up the bat signal for a team that's got a problem, it's got to be the Giants over the Jets. Joe, last one, your takeaway from Sunday night night football the Aaron Rodgers set up game winning field goal Jimmy G looked good on the final drive but man your old market in San Francisco Kyle Shanahan is getting chippy he's getting chippy with LaFleur the media he feels like he's too big to answer some of these Trey Lance questions what's happening behind the scenes with the 49ers and what'd you take away from Aaron Rodgers performance 
Niners blew it. They should have won that game. The Packers aren't that great. Rodgers is nasty. We all know it. But the Packer defense is not that good. We saw that against the Saints in week one. And this is a Detroit, uh, a Green Bay team, excuse me, that was losing in the first half to the Lions. They had played one good half of football. And you let them come into your house for your home opener and walk all over you early in that game. And somehow you find yourself back in it only to blow it. Why, why is Devontae Adams wide open on two plays in a row to set up the game-winning field goal? That's the only guy Rodgers is going to throw to, and you couldn't account for him. And then offensively, if it's not Garoppolo making a mistake, it's someone else making a mistake. The running game doesn't look like what we remember. And now, and now you're right, Shanahan's getting chippy because he doesn't want to have to answer the Lance questions. Then why'd you draft Lance? I know, did you think for some reason no one was going to question any of this when you traded all the way up and then let everyone speculate for months as to what you were going to do, and then you draft Trey Lance? How did you think this was going to play out? It's your job to get ahead of it. It's your job to answer the questions like a pro. It's your job to have the game plan in place. Garoppolo wasn't ready. You drafted Brandon Ayuk in the first round two years ago. You're not getting enough out of him. They've swung and missed on so many draft picks. Cornerback has been a position of concern for years, and they haven't figured out a way to solve it. The secondary's been an issue for years. They haven't figured out a way to solve it. And you saw all that last night. They couldn't make plays. The Niners for the last couple years have pointed to injuries as their excuse. Well, we got injuries. We got this. We got that. At some point, you got to be accountable. You got to make plays when it matters. It's one thing to beat a Philadelphia offense that can't score. It's one thing to beat Detroit and then blow the spread because you mailed it in for the final 10 minutes of that game. It's another thing when you had the Packers on the ropes and you blow it. And that's what they did yesterday. So they can be as upset as they want. They're not getting past the Rams with the way they're handling their business right now. The Rams are razor sharp, and Arizona's been looking good too. Seattle's lurking, as always, but if that Niner team doesn't clean it up, they, they're going to be a wild card at best. I don't know many who can do what this guy does. Maybe down the road I'll say I don't know any who can do what he does. Joe Fortenbaugh, ESPN sports betting analyst. Thanks for doing this, Joe. Always a pleasure, JT. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You got it, Joe Fortenbaugh. He is fantastic. Wow. I mean, how good is that rundown? And from a gaming perspective, very interesting what happened in that Niner game last night. I mean, I was on the air live doing my show for Sirius. That happens. What I'm seeing, what my eyes see is this. Michelle Tafoya from NBC is about to interview the great-looking Jimmy Garoppolo. Matinee idol looks, right? Looks like a movie star. She's about to go to his sideline because he throws the game-winning touchdown, game-winning drive. He's all ready, looking good. He's ready. They'll give him the headset. Rodgers throws two passes, game-winning field goal. Jimmy G goes to the locker room. No one says hello, goodbye to him. Aaron Rodgers is smiling, doing the post-game interview. It's the greatest, greatest experience of his life. That's how quick it went, 37 seconds. Derek Carr is doing an interview. With Evan from CBS, he wins the game. It could have been Jacoby Brissett, right? Could have been. These games end on the flip of a coin, one play, and Raider Nation, you're sitting at 3-0. and It's so important, the point I'm about to make. The Raiders only have one flagship station. It's this one. They only had one recently that they get along with, which is this one. This is the home of the Raiders. And Raider fans, this is your only home. A lot of people out there are bandwagon jumpers. You'll hear a little sports talk now, national, local. Even shows that I know of, wink, wink, who don't want to talk about the Raiders. They'd rather talk about a college football team that hasn't won a game in two years. Imagine if I spent, imagine if I spent 30 seconds talking about a college football team that hasn't won a game in two years. If you hear me talk 30 seconds on that, fire me. 
Take me out of the building with handcuffs. You don't win a game, you don't get on this show. You win games, bring the coach in. I'll, I'll pay for lunch. I got a show to do. I only have two hours, 13 sponsors. I got to get everybody in. I don't got time to talk about a team that can't win a college game. I talk about the hockey team and the football team. That's it. And then some charity events. You got a charity event. You got a charity event. I'm your guy. We don't waste time. Even if the Raiders were 0-3, I'd be talking Raiders. They're NFL. This is an NFL town now. If you can't handle this being an NFL town, get out of here and move to a college town. There's plenty of college towns that need radio shows to talk about the college team and other teams. We're talking Raiders. They're 3-0. That's it. That's all we're doing. 702-365-9200. Monday Night Football Doghouse. Wow. Doghouse Inside Resorts World. The most expensive casino in the world has JT the Brick Monday Night Football at the Doghouse. Now, I'm not there every week. We're promoting it because the place is mammoth. The sports book's in the middle of it. They have music. They have everything in that place. You have to go to the Doghouse. People say, well, I haven't been to Resorts World yet. I go, what? How did you not? Well, I don't know. Will I like it? You'll love it. Go right across the backside, back end, come down right across the street from Sapphire where you guys like to go, or right on the strip, right across Caddy Corner in that whole area, win and encore, go across the street and walk a half a block. There's Resorts World, bigger, bolder than anything. Scott Sabella runs the place, and he sits with me at the Raider games. And I watched him yesterday standing up with his arms up, his fist up as the Raiders win the game. I'm honored to be a part of the of Doghouse and their brand over at Resorts World. I'll promote everything in, in Resorts World. The place is off the charts it's fantastic. Go there and have a great time at Resorts World Doghouse Monday Night Football. All right, John Gruden press conference at 1. We'll take that or try to take it live. Mark Anderson and some phone calls the rest of the way. I love coming in here on Mondays when they win. <laughs> I sleep easier on Sunday night. It's kind of like a working vacation. Doesn't it feel that way, Bobby? Uh, we're resilient. Um, you know, we could lose the next 14 and go three and, you know, 14. So we still have a lot of work to do. I think uh, we understand that. We appreciate each other. We appreciate uh, the work uh, everyone puts in. And um, the biggest thing that jumps out at me is we care about each other and we're selfless. Um, I think that's huge. Being on a team like that, I've, I've been on some good teams in college and high school and whatever, but. You know, selflessness and love is the, the two main ingredients, and I feel like we have that. Yeah, he's right. Hunter Renfro really loves playing on this team. Renfro had a big game. Raiders ran the ball for 140 yards. The only complaint I get on the postgame show afterwards is that Gruden gives away first downs. He gives it away, just runs it up the middle on first down, so you're always second, and everybody knows you're going to pass. So when the Raiders trail in games, I like when they abandon the run and go to Renfro. That's what I like. I mean, I'm not the coach. He's going to call the plays, not me. But instead of a running play up the middle for no gain, where everybody is, a bunch of big guys, 300 pounds, I like Renfro in the slot doing that little head fake pivot he does and catching a six-yard pass. To me, that's better than a run, but John Gruden's going to want to run the football. He has to do it, and they ran it for a respectable amount. But that was a long overtime game. you got to run the ball in overtime at times. you got to slow it down a little bit. But, man, the strength of the Raiders, clearly their passing game. 
Black Hole Cisco checking in. Great to see you at the game yesterday, my friend. How are you? I'm good, JT. How are you, my friend? Everything's good, man. What's happening? Uh, not too much, man. Yeah, once again, man, it was really great to see you, as always. Uh, man, great game, uh, 3-0. Haven't felt that in some time, as you know. Uh, not going to get too excited. we still got a lot of football left, a lot of football left. But, you know, I think we're in the right direction. Team's got to stay focused, stay poised, and uh, let's uh, let's get through this season. But uh, reason for my call, man, I just want to thank the Raiders organization for recognizing Black Hole Rob. And, uh, man, my hat's off to him for doing that. It was special. I sent, the, uh, sent a picture of it to Rachel and, uh, and Niobe, his daughter, and, man, they, they just loved it. They loved it. So. Awesome. Hats off to them, man. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. And I, I really thank the Raiders, too. I made sure that I thanked them yesterday for doing that. They asked me for a couple of pictures, and I know that the Black Hole tailgate did something for Rob Rivera. Coach Gruden did. Coach Gruden made great remarks. So it was special. It was special. We lost a good guy, a diehard Raider fan who built the Black Hole. And it's a big part of the Raider lore of their fans, and it's never going to be the same without him. But I felt good yesterday. Felt good that his wife had a little bit of peace when everybody was reaching out to her. Brought to you by Modelo. Modelo. Love my bucket of Modelo's on Friday. We're doing the post-game show from the Modelo Cantina from their club after each game. 